Hey everyone, Daniel here. Wanted to get a quick disclaimer out of the way before we get into this week's episode. Nurse Jen is joining us for this one, and we are so excited to finally have her on the show to provide her professional insight into some of these trauma scenes. Uh, however, it is important for us to note that while she's providing that insight, she is not doing so in any sort of official capacity. So don't take anything you hear in this episode as official medical advice or as justification for not seeking out medical attention from a hospital. Uh, additionally, any opinions or statements she makes in this episode are hers alone and don't reflect the feelings and opinions of her employer. So with all that out of the way, let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and joining me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. And today we have a very special guest joining us. Everyone, please welcome to the show, the fabled Nurse Jen. Hello. Uh, Today we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 13, which is titled Fortune's Fools. The episode aired on January 30th, 1997. Lauren, what was going on that week 23 years ago? Oh, boy. After allegedly being tied to a prostitution ring in Los Angeles, Charlie Sheen divorces his wife of only five months, Donna Peel. In a close race, Evita is the number one movie of the week, but was narrowly beaten over the over the weekend by Jerry Maguire. And Unbreak My Heart by Tony Braxton continues its run atop the music charts. That heart cannot be broken. And as far as what else was on that week, we had... Uh, or that night rather we have at 8 p.m friends checking in with the one where monica and richard are just friends i believe this is tom Selleck uh guest starring on this one uh, so i sort of remember this episode uh at 8 30 p.m ironically enough we have the single guy checking in with just friends at 9 p.m seinfeld uh checks in with the comeback and at 9 30 p.m the naked truth itching for a cat uh, this week's episode, we've got 33.6 million viewers tuning in, down just a few million from last week's episode. This week's episode is directed by Michael Cadelman, directing his one and only episode of the series. Uh, other shows that he's directed multiple episodes of you may recognize include Northern Exposure, Gilmore Girls, and Rizzoli and Isles. This week's episode is written by Jason Cahill, doing his second out of three episodes that he would do over the course of the series. Um, actually, all just uh, within season three, actually. He does three episodes this season and then no more. Um, ones that we've talked about previously were uh, Don't Ask, Don't Tell from earlier this season. Ah, uh, yes, my favorite. And uh, before we get started, just because we do have our special guest on, Jen, would you like to tell the folks at home, you know, what your relationship with the show is? How it, like, did you watch it when it was first on? Or was it just your first watch through um... with, with Daniel? Or... Uh, I watched bits and pieces. Uh, my mom was a massive fan, and so since then, I was very familiar with the show. But then, with um, with Daniel, we watched it all the way through. How long ago? Uh, it was twenty eighteen, I think, is when it dropped on Hulu. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then occasionally, he asks questions, which I have to try to dig back into that memory. <sighs> And I hope that he's been giving you fantastic nursing advice. I, I have no idea. 
<laughs> well, we're ha- very happy to have you here. And uh, jumping into the episode proper, we've got the previously on uh, Julia, previously on air with Juliana Margulies this week. And we're going to open with some audio for you. Uh, you know, it's always great when Doug gives relationship advice because that never goes poorly at, poorly at all. So let's hear Doug dispense some wisdom. Hey, Doug, Doug, wait up a minute. Hey. i got to ask you something in confidence. Good morning to you. So how many people know about me and Chuni Marquez? Including the cleaning crew? So it's everyone. That would be an understatement. It's great. It's just uh, like, we kind of run out of things you to talk you about. You want out. I think that would be best. Well, you covered the spread. Huh? The office pool. I had you for next week, but what's five bucks for friends' happiness? You've had experience at this. How do I yeah. end it? Uh, you know those Chinese uh, finger puzzles? Yeah. You know, the harder you pull on them, the tighter they get? Yeah. You got to just relax, see? And then they just droop and fall off. That sounds ominous. I'll tell you what you do. You explain to her that you're doing this for her own benefit, that it's been fun, but it's starting to interfere with work, and you don't want to ruin the friendship because that's what you really care about. You know what? You're frightening. You know that? (laughs) Never take relationship advice from Doug Ross. Please, for the love of God. Also, I love that he says, like, I'm talking to you in confidence. Like, it's Doug. We have established time and time again that Doug is the office gossip. It's not gonna stay, like, quiet. Uh How do we feel about that advice? I agree that it's frightening. He's got that down to a science. Yeah. Like he has, cl- it's clearly not the first time he's done that. First of all, the Chinese finger trap analogy. I'm just trying to imagine like a woman falling off of George Clooney, like a used condom. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, oh. the, you know, just relax and they just kind of fall off like that. That's really where my mind went. All right. Hope everybody had used condom on their STT bingo card this week. <laughs> oh, I feel like we need to swap me out for Jen half the time, because good God. <laughs> oh, that's an, amaz- that's an amazing and horrifying visual. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but remember that specific dialogue he used, though, because it will, it will come up again <laughs> yes. later on. We shall see. Um, and then we flip over to Carter and Benton scrubbing in for a surgery, and Carter calls Benton out that he is late. Um, they only have a hernia on their schedule. Carter's really unimpressed that, you know, they've been light on difficult surgeries. They haven't really been doing much. Benton hasn't really been signing them up for a lot. And Carter reminds Benton that they have a conference that afternoon at 3 p.m. that they're splitting. So Carter's doing half and Benton's doing half. Don't it's, forget. It's almost like Benton is going through some shit. It's almost like Benton tends to be really unreliable anytime things get a little bit hard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, hmm, I wonder why Carter's reminding him. Let's see what happens. And then we find we go to the admit desk, and the nurses are gossiping on the benefits of the sick out. And all of a sudden, they see that the paper has a report on Carol's mistake from last episode. So they are concerned that management will use this against them because it's bad PR. Oh, no. Um, And it flips from there to Carol is out at the cemetery visiting the grave of the transient she killed, Gil. And she's like, oh, he doesn't even get a gravestone? And the the gentleman who's leading to where he's buried goes, no, they just get numbers. Yeah, we we sort of noted as we were watching, like, there's a little bit of a continuity gap here, Mm -hmm. or at least you have to really extend your suspension of disbelief in order for this to work, because... So, the paper is reporting on Carol's mistake from last episode, which occurred on a night shift, so... 
And she's talking to all the nurses as if it's the first time she's seeing them since this has happened. So we're talking at most it's been one, maybe two days since the last episode. So they've managed to get this transient buried in a cemetery and it's been covered with snow and the guy whose primary responsibility is to know where all the bodies are buried doesn't seem to remember the most recent body he buried as of like hours ago so this is a little like mm, it doesn't really quite match up mm. if you're watching it but mm. they've done that before they tend to go based on where the audience is at not necessarily the true timeline oh yeah absolutely of course yeah. um then we're in with some bangs still no twinkles this season oh how we missed the um, did they ever exist? In our hearts, they did. <laughs> and Susan will return, and so will the Twinkles. <laughs> God, I don't want to wait till season eight for more Twinkles. Come on. Um, but uh, come out. We come out of the intro, and uh, we get our we get our main storyline here for Carrie and Mark this episode, uh, which involves six prospective interns that Anspa, um, you know, is reminding them that they have. It's which. Prospective intern day. Is this a thing, Jen? Have you ever seen this be a thing? Um, probably. But, um, the interviews and all of the, like, orientations and stuff, that's really held within the doctor's realms. Um, I'm, being that I'm on nights, I'm part-time, I don't have to see that process very much thank god <laughs> so i'm sure it's also different too because this is a teaching hospital right. that's so, fair yeah like which ours is ours is a like current hospital is a teaching hospital is it affiliated with a medical school though mm-hmm. oh okay well yeah. shows what you know daniel <laughs> today i learned yeah so we get we do get interns and we also get um we don't have very many so we're very selective in who we get and um Poor things when they have to come on to night shift and I turn around and I'm like, are you, are you a student? Okay. Uh-huh. Uh. Hello. <laughs> but at least you're a nice, friendly face. I try. I really try because uh, teaching them early on to be nice to the nurses and work with nurses is a really important skill. Yeah. So the ones that don't work well with nurses because they come in and they're like, oh, I have a medical degree and I am coming here for all this shit. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So you tell me about that when you when you drown and in, in don't know what to do. So, yeah. I, I have a lot of feelings about new doctors and baby doctors. I love them. <laughs> but I also need them sometimes to get their shit together yeah it's it's like lydia and Halle training baby carter sometimes you just gotta yes. give them a a wake-up call it's good to know that that applies to real life um but but <laughs> there's does. but there's six of them we'll get do we do we get we get all their names but at like some really point i didn't fire. even i didn't even write them down we never yeah, see these kids yeah, again but whatever. uh but carrie and mark are gonna divide them and we'll come back to them we'll come back to them in a little bit i don't think they're actually yep, so, here yet so no yeah, there's just six perspective ones coming in. And like Lauren said, we're 0 for 6 on needing to know their names or needing to know anything about yeah. them that n- none of them stick around. So, uh, But we, we go from there to the nurse's station where we see Halle and Lydia uh, talking to Carol about the uh, death that occurred during the sick out. And uh, Carol is pretty upfront about it, that it was her fault, um, that it was not one of the temp nurses, which they're under the impression that it was. 
Um, but we don't get too much time to dwell on that as we get our first trauma of the episode coming in. Multiple gunshot wounds to the chest. Um, it's a uh, cop and his uh, the perp, I guess, that he was uh, pursuing. Uh, so it's a kid named Hernandez and a second cop uh, who was or a second patient rather is the cop who was chasing him. Um, but then there's a third cop who actually did the shooting. It's very it's a little confusing, um, but um, this is going to be one of the, the kind of main three line patients for the episode. Uh, the cop specifically, not really so much the kid. The kid just kind of goes off to surgery and then we never really see him again. Uh, but the cop is going to stay down in the ER for most of the episode. And that's going to be kind of Carol and to a lesser extent Doyle's through line for this episode. Yeah, but the but the cop, his name is Sergeant Matamore, and his partner is like, well, maybe this will teach him not to shoot cops. Like, I think one of the nurses says that. One of the nurses? I believe says? it's Lydia. It's Lydia? Specifically. Yeah. Oh. New cop wife Lydia. Oh. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, the, but the cop is, uh, you know, Obviously he's shot, but he's not. He's not. In, he's not in too much uh, trouble. He's stable and pretty I, responsive. I think he got shot in the leg. Yeah. yeah. And who plays him? <laughs> he is. So the cop, Sergeant Matamore, is played by a kind of an. Oh, this is a pretty light. Oh, hey, it's that guy episode. But this guy's probably one of the bigger ones. Um, Kevin Tyge or Tyhe. I'm not really sure how you pronounce his last name. Uh, he had a lot of credits to his name, right around a hundred. Uh, some of his more uh, notable credits included another 48 hours the series emergency with an exclamation point and the movie roadhouse uh and then we get genie's through line for the episode she is interviewing a young man who came in with increased headaches and some sleep disturbances and other issues and as she's asking him questions his girlfriend or wife we find out wife is there and she jumps in to answer almost every single damn question so you've heard of helicopter parenting this is helicopter spousing i don't think it's that bad it's pretty egregious but she know but she knows she's the one who notices like the personality changes that like that necessitate yes further care for the gentleman but, but if you're in that situation like let's say we went to the doctor yeah like like we did for my sleep test yeah let's say we go i'm there he asks me a question i can defer to you and say i'm not sure let me ask lizzie or you can talk over me and not even have him finish asking the question <laughs> there's a way to do it fair enough so yeah. maybe I just wasn't that sucked into this entirely forgettable episode, but it was. <laughs> but... <laughs> Spoilers. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, these, this is an incredibly overbearing couple and I hate them anyway. Uh, <laughs> but well, where, where we are introduced to one couple, another, another separates. It's let's, been three episodes. Yeah. From start to finish. Let's listen to the finale of Mark and Chuni. Hi. Hi. How's that kid who got shot? Well, he made surgery. Oh, thank you. My mother was disappointed you couldn't make it for dinner last night. Ah, work, you know. My brothers are starting to doubt your intentions. All five of them? (laughs) Mark. You first. Mark, I'm not sorry we did this. It's been fun, but, um... It's starting to interfere with my work, and uh, I really want to preserve our friendship. I know that's as important to you as it is to me. Yeah. No hard feelings, right? No, no, Mm. of course not. (laughs) Oh, what did you want to say? Um, nothing. Our long national nightmare is over, gang. (laughs) And he didn't have the goatee at all for it. Yeah. 
I kind of sworn that this was, I could have sworn this was during his goatee phase, but this is this is the only part I remembered about this episode going into it. And, and the only part worth remembering going out yeah, of it. That it's the exact same lines as Doug was saying. Also, I need to point out so the goatee may not be there, but Mark, that turtleneck is hideous. Ugh. You oh, you kind of went to bat for the turtleneck a little I, bit. The turtleneck blazer combat that was fine, but when it's the turtleneck okay. with the scrubs and the doctor coat, he looks oh. like he looks kind of like middle aged Spider Man with his mask off <laughs> a little bit. So yeah, here <laughs> when it's when it's later in the bar, fine, but here nah, not fam. Um, that was short lived. But R.I.P. to Mark and Shuni. We did. We didn't even give them a shit pair. It was sh- so short lived. Yeah, I knew it was. I could have sworn. Grudy. I could have sworn it went on longer than Ugh. three episodes, though. From the fuck to the oh, yeah. to the breakup. <laughs> My brain just went chark. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so ugh. then we go from there to Carol talking with the nurse admin uh, about the article in the paper. She wants to figure out who hung her out to dry. And uh, the nurse admin basically throws it back at her and is like, you like, it doesn't really matter who hung you out to dry. You have an entire staff of nurses down there who refuses to acknowledge the truth of 90s medicine, which I'm not sure exactly what that is supposed to mean. Uh, But uh, Carol throws it right back at her saying, this is not labor politics, Mary. A man died and I'm the only one who seems to give a damn. So her self-righteous crusade continues. Uh, What did you what did you think about this whole thing as far as like, I mean, I know obviously you're pro labor nurse nursing union type stuff but like this particular flavor of it um the irony is i'm not currently union but i have been in in general though i have in the past um and it depends on the union i don't know how i feel about i like it's never been an option or even on my radar to strike or have a sick out in the way that they did because that is incredibly um, dangerous for patients. Um, Now, could you do something else like do something annoying? Like, oh, we're going to everybody show up five minutes late because we had a traffic delay because we had whatever. I don't know. Like, there could be something else. But the sick out was was incredibly dangerous. I feel for Carol because mid-management does a lot that we don't see. And um, they're very, very underappreciated. Um, I don't even... I Carol's just in a shit situation. Uh, and then the way that um, the room, you know, like the whole incident happened, I guess she gave blood that was not... Uh, cross-match to this patient it was something that had just been left behind and that's part of turning the room is like when you have so much experience in this space that those details aren't lost on you and you don't have to take 45 minutes with a checklist to make sure everything's there you can open a drawer glance at it and know exactly what you need what you don't need and so the night that she hangs this or she gives this blood um, number one it, if it was left over from a previous patient, then it's probably out of like your temperature range. There's like a dozen other safety concerns, not just that it was the wrong um, match. And 
I've been in situations where I'm working with nurses who are not familiar with the unit, um, who aren't on an orientation, but they've floated or they're shadowing or for whatever reason, or we're in a crisis situation and nurses come down and it's terrifying sometimes what they don't know just because they're not used to the environment. Right. And we actually, um, thank you so much for sharing that. Cause like, again, the three of us, we just have to talk out our asses half the time, not having this in-person experience. So that's really important to note the turn the room stuff that we wouldn't have even thought of. I wouldn't have even thought of the blood safety about like temperature safety and things like that. So extra mm-hmm. gross that that was just left over. I also wanted to share that, um, one of our listeners shared on our Facebook group um, some of the Chicago Union. I'm trying to think. Oh, my God. What was it? Chicago Nurse and I believe Physicians Union for some of the hospitals to kind of cover what the actual legality of that sick out was. Mm-hmm. So if any of you want to dig into, I think it was like 90 pages worth of union information, go for it. It's up It's up there somewhere. Um, Knock yourself out. The official Say in the Tone community on Facebook. Yep. So yeah. uh, then we go back to Carter and Benton doing their hernia surgery with Morgan Stern. And Morgan Stern's just talking, shooting the shit like he loves to do. And he mentions to Benton that I think it's wise to slow it down after pediatrics. Kind of really get back to the basis. Sometimes you have to step back and reassess. So apparently Benton has stepped way back to the point where Morgan Stern is even noticing. And it's like... Why do we think he's doing this? Do you think it's really the impact of Gant passing? Yeah. Yeah. I think he's doing that, you know, good old male emotional internalization, you know, just going to talk. talk about my yeah. feelings. I'm a big, strong so. man. I don't talk about my feelings. <laughs> but it's just, yeah, it's so it. interesting to me that this is his grief or guilt manifests in his, like, ambitions slowing way the hell down. Well, I think he also, like, it's not only just losing Gant, but it also is, like, not being in pediatrics anymore Not because being like, in that fellowship. yeah because he really wanted to do that he only wanted to do it for the prestige He'll get but still it. you know even if you only if you even if you want to do it for the wrong reasons you st- if you still are passionate about something you know it's still a bummer to not be able to participate in that anymore didn't get his gold star yeah. yeah i didn't really find him particularly passionate about peds he wanted the gold star more than he cared about the actual topic it seemed like he was putting hey. in a lot of work into it for somebody for somebody like benton the gold star is equally as important yeah. as the pet like that that sometimes the, the gold star is the objective i wish listeners could hear me shrugging <laughs> <laughs> uh no we go back we go back down to the er mark is telling doug how mature the breakout was but of course you know mark being you know a guy it's like oh yeah she's hurting but she's gonna get over with uh, she's gonna get over it and they immediately like look over and see chuny flirting with an emt like, I love Doug's line there too. What time you got? Better looking EMT yeah. also. Ouch. Hey. I mean, hey. Yeah. Don't do my boy Mark Green like that. I mean, yeah. I'm gonna have to agree with Jen on this one. That's fair. He's not. He's not the most. He's not the most handsome man in the world. We might disagree on his turtleneck choices, but. <laughs> um, and but at we... least he's wearing a belt. Yes. Yes, call, throwback to season one. Um, Ooh, taking it way back. Um, then the prospective in- Wow, I can't fucking talk today. The prospective interns have arrived. Um, Carrie has prepared a giant orientation packet for them, and she has a giant spiel prepared, and Mark dumps the packet into the trash immediately after Carrie walks away for the three that he's taking. He's like, you guys want to play doctor? Let's go. 
and Carrie mm-hmm. Carrie tries to organize it like, oh, do you want to stagger ten minutes behind me? And Mark immediately just follows her it's after like, nah, she walks you. away. Fuck this. <laughs> there are two people. There are two kinds of people in this world. <laughs> no joke. So then we go from there to uh, Sergeant Matamore, check in with him again. His partner is telling the nurses all about what happened while he wheels around the room in a wheelchair. Uh, you can tell, see Carol's visible annoyance with uh, his antics here. And uh, we find out that the partner is the one who shot the kid and he's bragging about it. Uh, and as uh, I believe it's Carol and Connie that are talking to him, um, Sergeant Matamore uh, replies that it's 32 years on the force and I've only fired my gun twice outside of the practice range. So wish there were more cops like that yeah. that's pretty much what connie says too mm-hmm. yeah she's like cop afraid to use his gun that's a rarity or something like that um yeah yeah and then from there we go over to Halle is confronting carol about the article and how she's she's just like this can be used against us like they're gonna drag us through the mud with this all the stuff that we had on the table is being taken off now they're reneging and you can hear see here that Carol is just exhausted of being the middleman. She's like, you and management can yell and scream at each other all you want, but I'm done. I am trying to do what's right here, and y'all suck. Like, I want you to get what you need, but Jesus. And we get some more contrast after that between Carrie and Mark's teaching styles. Uh, Carrie is very boringly telling the interns what to... What happens with urine samples? Like the and, journey of a urine sample. And Mark is taking the interns to visit. Uh, Mark is taking the interns to visit an actual patient, uh, the chef from the cafeteria, Sasha. I probably it gives me like a reality check because I can definitely be a little Carrie Weaver in this. Because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, if you don't understand where these labs are going to, then you probably don't understand why it takes. 45 minutes to get the turnover or whatever, you know, like they come in with these expectations that aren't reality. And it's when you're under the heat of the moment, you're just trying to get things done. You've got somebody who comes over and they're like, well, where's the results on this answer? I'm like, excuse me, do you, do you know how this works? You don't because most of the time they don't. And you, you know, they don't teach that. Like, there's not enough time in the day for everybody to have a Carrie Weaver manual and sit home and read it. And I wish they would, but it's not It's not reality. They're trying to learn chest tubes and time management and all of the other stuff that obviously Mark Green is showing. Like, this is chaos and you just got to jump in. Um, th- I think he does tell one of the interns to give Demerol though yes and I'm yeah. like that yes that's, that's yeah that's later that's later on or yeah no it's that's, that's yeah this, it's, this, this it's this part they have him yeah. yeah but the way I saw it was that I think Carrie's treating them like they're already working for or like like they're already working for her so like she has to explain every little detail like it's the orientation mm-hmm. for the hospital yeah exactly whereas Mark yeah. is like here let me just show you what we're all about versus yeah so What's your day-to-day versus what's the minutiae? Yeah, so right. uh, so what they're treating Sasha is a burn on his foot. Um, then Mark's, yeah, Mark is getting the interns involved. He's asking them to us to assess, like, what would you do first? Then what next? Then what next? And he's like, yep, correct, correct, correct. All right, you do this, you do that, you do that. Give Demerol. And, yeah. Put burn cream on him. Mm-hmm. <sighs> And then we have Maggie Doyle checking in on Sergeant Matamore, and um, she's, like, shooting the shit with him. And as Carol walks in, she 
um, Maggie leaves and the sergeant's like, oh yeah, I picked up her cousin for a and e It's the best thing that ever happened to him. I got him into a work program and now he's a locksmith, which just made me laugh. That was just a really cute little thing. Um, and then there's this really creepy thing where they're talking about how there used to be dances at the hospital called like blue and white dances for nurses and cops. And he says, do you know why so many nurses end up with cops? Shared appreciation for life's vicissitudes. And it's just, it's really weird, this whole episode. Like, it, it, it's almost like he's flirting with Carol this entire episode. He's not. But just the tone is really, like, just gross. Not it's not sleazy, that... but just gross. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Uh, that is, that scenario is i have seen similar things play out not as like a patient and a nurse with the cop being the patient but this idea of the like er cops and er nurses have a long history of dating um not er cops but cops in general sorry dumb moment um but yeah we work very closely with police and there's um, there's a broad spe- broad spectrum of cops. So there's mm-hmm. there are ones that like can diffuse a situation. They've got tons of experience of being kind and calm and supportive and all of these other things. And then you've got the other guy who is like the kid in the wheelchair. Yeah. He's a young cop, and it's all about how macho and exciting and all this other, uh, this bullshit, basically. But he, there, sometimes the conversations, the tone is really weird. Or it's almost like, um, kind of this, like, father-daughter tone, or the weird uncle talking to you. You're like, but, but we're not, this isn't a thing. Like, it's not a flirting thing, but it's, it's just kind of like, you know, creepy uncle that you don't want to ever see visit ever yeah so there was that and then as that conversation also uh but um as they're having that conversation carol notices his hands shake a little bit she's like is your hand okay he's like yeah just tired so that's gonna come into play a little bit later so then we go from there up to the surgical floor where we see hicks uh, erasing her surgery from the board after she finishes and uh she kind of Carter is, is sitting there doing some, I can't remember if he's like taking notes or reviewing slides or something, but he's, he's doing some work there at the desk and she's sort of probing him for info or trying to get the lowdown on Benton. And she tells uh, Carter that he should sign uh, Benton up for a surgery later. Just kind of give him, if he won't do it himself, give him, give him the kick in the ass he needs. And Carter, you can tell is sort of like, oh, should I, I don't know. I might get in trouble. And, uh, She's like, well, you can just, I'm doing this, you know, I don't even remember what the name of the surgery was, but it was like, I'm doing this super complex surgery later. Do you want to join me for that one? You can tell that he really wants to, like, this is starting to affect Carter as well, but he's just kind of stuck at Benton's hip. So uh, it says Benton's been kind of stuck in neutral and, you know, this is going to be definitely one of the big through lines for the episode. And as Hicks leaves, we do see uh, Carter go up and write Benton's name on the board for a surgery. So we will check back with that a little later i just love hicks so much she's so good for benton and she's so good for carter she's such a good character ah 
Uh, now we go to back down to the ER. Uh, Doug is his patient for the episode. A little boy that hurt his arm. His mom works in the ICU. Uh, the kid's name is Benny, but he's currently going by Clark Kent. So we'll dive a little deeper into that. And mom and son here. Mom, the uh, ICU nurse, her character's name is Lisa Saylor. Uh, she's played by actress Marnie McPhail, who you may recognize from movies like Star Trek First Contact and The Greatest Game Ever Played. And little Clark Kent slash Benny here is played by an actor named Seth Adkins, who uh, was in Titanic, as well as playing Meryl Streep's son in the movie First Do No Harm. Cool. Uh, and then we go back over to Mark's interns as well. Um, Mark's treating a, a woman from that hurt her, hurt her arm, right? Like her, yeah. her wrist. Yeah. Uh, Mark is treating a woman that hurt her wrist uh playing in a singles water polo league and is totally hitting on him laying it on as thick as he possibly can i love the line yeah the men in my water polo league are really tough on the outside and you know needy and wimpy on the inside i like it the reverse while looking <laughs> mark dead in the eyes <laughs> and uh the Water polo player here, uh, Heather, is the character's name. She's played by actress Caitlin Delaney, making her first of four appearances. Uh, so this is going to be a little mini arc here with Heather. Uh, and I also noted here that um, Mark, when he's asking, he's quizzing the interns about uh, Heather's injury. He mentions the anatomical snuff box, which is that little space in between your thumb and pointer finger. Um, he says what kind of injury she should have, uh, what, like, what does that indicate as far as what type of wrist fracture she could have and whatever they answer is, he says is not correct. It's actually the navicular bone. Unfortunately, the navicular bone is actually in your ankle, not your wrist. So that doesn't actually make a hundred percent sense, but, uh, that was our one. Well, I guess there is a second technical note earlier that I forgot to mention in, um, Benton and Carter's hernia surgery. Mm. There's a quick shot where on the wide shot and the close-up shot, the position of Mar of uh, Carter's mask tie changes. Like it goes from like really loose to really tight, and then really loose to really tight. Like it goes back and forth. Right. Um, but other than that, this is a pretty clean episode. Nice. Yeah. When um when they said the metacarpals, I was like, oh, I had those hurt. I got boo boos on those. Um, but yeah, then we have Carol and. Maggie talking about Sergeant Matamore again, and Carol addresses the con the concerns she has about the involuntary twitch in his hand, and says that you know maybe Maggie should do a CT scan. And Doyle responds, you know, I can't order a thousand dollar test without indications, but she does agree to do a neuro exam to see if a CT scan is indicative or required. So good on Doyle for at least listening to the nurse in her life. And the gut check and going, hmm, maybe I should actually listen on this and do something about it. And then we switch over to Greg Fisher helping Jeannie examine the gentleman with headaches from earlier. And they get him an LP tray. So he's going to have a lumbar puncture done. Isn't that going to be swell? Ow. <laughs> They've done a lot of these lately, I feel like. The last oh, couple. Oh, really? I don't know. It just they stick. I maybe it's just cause maybe they just the, the non consensual nature of the last one sticks yeah, out so, so much. Yeah, so maybe it just feels like they've done a lot. Um, and as Jeannie's getting that for him, where she walks out of the room and Greg follows her and says, "You know, I've been meaning to call you," and she goes, "I didn't expect you to," and walks away. I just yes. want them to be happy. Um, oh. and then we have Carter fessing up that he to Benton that he signed him up for a surgery and Benton's like why the hell did you do that take my name off the board 
Carter's like, it's too late. Nobody else is going to do it. Like, we got to do it. And Ben's like, no, take my name off the board. You butt. Like, they're just, they're not vibing this episode at all. It's not uh, good. And we go back over to uh, young Benny. Uh, uh, Doug's showing Benny's mom the x-rays and you know, showing where the fracture is. And I noted it's a, it sounds like he has a similar fracture to what I had. Like, right near the elbow joint. Like an incomplete fracture that's not going to require a cast. It'll do just fine in a sling. Um, I was like, hey, that sounds familiar. Um, asked, Doug asked to speak to Benny's mom outside, asked him if he's always been this sort of non-communicative because like, he just like doesn't respond to Doug at all. Even He barely does even when he calls him Clark Kent. Uh, turns out his dad f- died five months ago while they were out getting ice cream, and Benny was it was in a car accident. Benny wasn't hurt very uh, very badly, but... Took about ten minutes for the ambulance to get there, and he had to watch his dad. Die. He had to sit there and watch his dad die. And Doug wants to get a psych consult, obviously. And they go back into the room, and Benny's gone. Yikes. Um, and then we switch back over to Mark's potential new romantic interest, and she asks him out, and it's <laughs> like, "Oh, you want to meet at the bar for blah blah blah?" And he goes, "Students, here's here's a good ethics thing." Can patients date doctors? No. Nope. So then they go on this whole train of, well, hypothetically, if I were to show up at this bar and you were hypothetically there at the same time, would it hypothetically be okay? And Mark's like, hypothetically, possibly. All I wanted was for someone to do, like, the Dr. Evil, like, air quotes <laughs> during this entire time. Hypothetically. Freaking laser beams attached to their heads. <laughs> <sighs> childhood but yeah so mark's mark's got a date yay mark right after you broke up with your got dumped by it your... wasn't it, that was barely a thing i know i'm just like talk about a turnaround go mark yeah now the real question is who has the hotter so emt or oh. mark green's lady like who's got the the hotter rebound well the thing like, is chuni was already a rebound yeah. for susan so double rebound um but i would say i would say mark's got the hotter one yeah i'd say so too because we didn't really get like a super we, good yeah. look at the uh, at the other at the guy chuny was hitting on yeah the so. emt was perfectly acceptable but yeah. like this girl's pretty so we go from there to our comic relief for the episode oh, Carrie uh, working on an abscess on a gentleman's backside. And I think <laughs> I think we were both, like, especially, and I know you, as we were watching this, you were expecting something, like, you were like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, as we were watching, I think you were expecting, like, they were going to do, they were going to get more graphic with it. Like, there was going to be, like, spraying or something. That's what like, I was, was expecting, be, too. Yeah. I was like, just like, what's, what's going on? Uh... Yeah. They don't, I mean, really, other than the guy making noise, noises, which is really, it's really the whole joke. Like, there really is no joke other than him just making uncomfortable noises. But, uh, yeah, that, that I guess, counts as our our comic relief for this episode. But we quickly dive out of that into uh, Carol and Doyle talking to Sergeant Mattimore. And this is where Doyle is trying to give him the neuro test that her and Carol discussed earlier. And he catches on pretty quickly to what they're trying to do. And is just like, you know, 
I got shot in the leg. The rest of me is fine. So he's he's clearly, even though he might be a, a more compassionate variety of cop, like not gonna you know shoot people un, unprovoked. Uh, he's still got the like macho gene where like he's not going to let them examine him. So he discusses why later though, and I think it makes sense. It's not from a macho standpoint, as we find out later. Yeah, I mean, there's Kinda some, there's some, so, there's some self-preservation, reg- it, like, aspects to it. You're right; it's not so cut and dry as a macho thing. But I do, I, I think that plays heavily into it. But you're right; there, we will, we will get a little bit more broader context for it as we get close to the end of the episode. And then uh, we go, we go over to the waiting room, the ER waiting room, and Benton sees Carla sitting in chairs. And as he's like, what the hell? What's she doing here? Lily comes back and says, oh, Dr. Coburn will see you now. Wait, what? Why is she in the ER waiting room for an OB appointment? Presumably. When they're on another floor. Yeah. And Coburn, like... Like five floors away. (laughs) That doesn't check out, right? No, that does not check out. Sure hope someone got fired for that blunder. (laughs) <laughs> what also doesn't check out is that it's Reese o'clock already. Yeah. Like, I could have sworn what? that was season four or season five. I mean, I guess, you know, nine months, I guess, you know, by the time she's giving birth, I'm betting it'll be in season four, but it still feels like. Or end of season it, three. Spoil- we just don't know when anything happens. Spoiler, I looked ahead. It is this season. I looked ahead after we saw this. It's, that he's born? It's this season. End of the season, though, end right? Of, yeah, it's, it's like the back quarter of the season, so not too much longer. What? Yeah. Okay. All right. I can because only make there... so many shrug faces this episode. Like, <laughs> yeah, because there's some time skips here between between these episodes as we get to. There would have get... to be. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Like time skips in real life, and then also on the show. So. Right. Speaking of pedantic takes, we go over and we see Morgan Stern is talking to Carrie's interns and boring them to death, and I can't. I think Mark says this. Somebody says this. They just go stick a fork in them. They've been weavered. It's uh, Doug, I think, two green, yeah. two mark. Yeah, so like, Morgan Stern is giving his life story to these poor interns sitting in chairs, and um, Mark's talking to Doug about dating this patient and whether he should go on the date or not. And like, he's like, "Well, you've done it plenty. Like, yeah, you can't tell me not to do it." And Doug goes, "Well, I know the difference between dependence and mutual attraction. Like, I know the difference between a red flag and a green flag, my dude." Does he? No, he no, he really doesn't. <laughs> so then we go from there back over to uh, Greg and Jeannie that are examining the patient's LP test from earlier. And surprise, he is positive for neurosyphilis. I don't know why I wrote that in all caps, but it was... It's, it, it, it feels appropriate. <laughs> you know, neurosyphilis feels like an all caps kind of diagnosis. That, seem, that seems A, bad, and B... Mm-hmm. Worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so the 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 new problem becomes they need to tell the patient, and of course Jeannie, having a very personal connection to this type of dynamic, feels that it's unfair or wrong that they are unable to tell the spouse as well, uh, which creates some more friction between her and uh, Greg. So we will circle back to that a little bit later. Uh, but we go from there to Carter watching the clock to see if Benton is going to show up for their conference at 3 o'clock. It's already several minutes past 3, so I don't think uh, he's going to show up. Uh, Anspaugh is, uh, comes bursting out of the room and is like, 
what the hell, dude? Like the whole like the whole staff is in here waiting for you. I don't care if Benton's here or not. Get in here and start. And I just feel like this whole uh, upcoming scene with Carter getting roasted in there. I feel like it really shows a lack of like awareness or caring on Onspa's part. Like he completely just throws uh, Carter under the bus and lets him flap in the wind when it was clearly not his fault. But it's I don't know. Like we'll 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 talk more about that when we get there. Yeah. Uh, but at, before that, before we get there, uh, we have Benton talking with Carla and just asking, like, wait, what? Pregnancy? Pregnancy? So, uh, when were you going to tell me? When I knew I had something to tell. You know, both my sisters had miscarriages during the first trimesters. What did Colburn say? Well, she said that it was just some spotting and that, you know, there was nothing to worry about. All systems go. Carla, I don't understand. I mean, we were careful. I... Well, it's like they say, nothing is 100% effective. And you're sure it's money. I'm going to forget you said that. I'm just going to lay it all on the stress and the surprise, okay? Uh, Carla, I'm sorry. Look, honey, what am I supposed to say? Look, we're two very different people, Peter. And Lord knows we both have enough going on in our lives. Look, I've made the choice, Peter, to have this baby. All right, uh, what do you expect from me, Carla? Truth. You've always been really honest with me. It's one of your finer qualities. I gotta get back to work. I'll, I'll call you, all right? Sure. Yikes. And mm. so it begins, my friends. Benton's uh. so, uh, show-defining arc. I I love when uh, he blurts out, "Like, are you even sure it's mine?" I love the the I love the nonverbal uh, fear of his life that he comes over his face, where he's just like, "Oh shit, what did I just say?" Like, wait, and how she's <laughs> like, "Dude," and hey, spoiler alert, it's not. Yeah, it's. Not, I think that is ultimately revealed way down the yeah, line. Yeah, like way, it's, way, way, that way it's down Rogers. the line. Or Rogers. I don't or... even. I don't even think that it's confirmed that it's Rogers. I think it's it's left up to like we don't know whose it is, but it's not either. It's definitely not Benton's. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's like years from now we discover that. Yeah. But that. Yeah. <laughs> so hey, you know, like it's a shitty question to ask, but, but but also go Benton for saying, okay, what do you expect from me? Like not in a rude way, but just. Okay. Like okay. You're this keeping is, this. this is our life what now. do you expect from me? Yeah. Like how do you expect me to contribute to this? He's ready to do the right thing, whatever that may be. Um, so let me go back to Sergeant Matamore and he's talking more in depth with Carol about the hand issue and what had happened in the alley, and he said that he and um Hernandez, the kid that he was in the standoff with they were in the alley. Hernandez had pulled a piece, and he was stand. And Matamore was standing there, like trying to de-escalate the situation. And unfortunately, his hand jerked. And Hernandez thought he was going for his gun, so he fired, which is why the partner, Pino, fired on Hernandez. And so Matamore says part of his concern why he hasn't gotten it taken care of is because he's afraid that he'll be put on desk duty, if not stuck in a hospital, and that 
He says, then who deals with the next kid who pulls a piece? Some hot shot like Pino? Like, he presents it as trying to do it for the betterment of the community. And also to save himself for being off-duty, but mainly he's trying to look at the forethought of not having those macho hotheads be the ones fully kind of leading the force. So as Jen mentioned, there's a wide spectrum of cops. He's one of the ones who tries to be more cool-headed and de-escalate and have the forethought to look at the overall quality of the force. It's almost like all of them should be like that. You'd think. Exactly. Yeah. Then uh, poor Carter, just left there, just... He gets slaughtered in this conference thing that he's doing. Like, he does. First half is perfect. Totally fine. And then Benton just doesn't show up. And he attempts to do Benton's half, but, you know, he is not prepared for Benton's half. And you would think the surgeons would be a little more forgiving on this, because he says, all right, and now for the following portion from my colleague Peter Benton, who is not here, so let me see what I can do for him. Like... He, he clearly gives that little hint at the beginning that, hey, this was not my portion. It, it's, it, I guess there's some sort of, like, you know, higher education standard thing of, like, well, you should be prepared to do the whole project, even if, you know, like, whatever. Like, but, like, I don't know, like you said, it just, it feels like everybody in the room is roasting him over the coals for no reason. And I don't know. Wasn't my favorite. Maybe because it hit a little too close to home. <laughs> like, maybe because <laughs> I've been in a few too many group projects where somebody didn't do their part. But yep. Um, so that's painful. And then from there, we go over to, we're down by chairs, and we see a gentleman yelling at his wife, and Benny is screaming at this man who is, you know, disagreeing with his wife, and he's like, you can't do that, you're being mean to her, stop being mean to her. And Doug grabs Benny and pulls him, I think, into the lounge, and just, like, puts the truth on him a little bit harshly. That he's not a superhero and that, like, he can't do these things. He can't get in arguments with grown men who are disagreeing with their wives. Like, you're just a kid. You're not Superman. Chill out. And Benny immediately just withdraws into himself again. Like, you can see him just like... Yeah, it's a really good job by that kid. Yes. Mm -hmm. But then we go from there to a quick scene of Carol and Mark talking about the article and, uh... Carol, you can tell, is just very fed up with the whole situation and makes a comment about possibly going over to the Sun-Times and uh, just telling the truth herself. So, hmm, might that Mm. be planting some seeds for later on? Not sure. The balls on her. Like, I cannot imagine a single nurse that I have ever known who would take this step. First of all, it is an HR nightmare, and you not only are likely to get fired, but also have other repercussions, probably legal and, um, you know, litigation and stuff. If you are to talk to the Times or talk to uh, any kind of media outside of, like, what gets approved by your hospital, like, most hospitals have, like, a media liaison kind of person. So for Carol to, like, have that kind of balls of like I might do this and and then also Mark having the conversation with her of like you know if that's what you think is the right thing to do like he seems very supportive and he asks her the hard question like what would the repercussions be like 
do you know that that's, are you just saying this to, you know, be dramatic or you, or is this like something you want to follow through with because I basically, in so many words, support you. And I, you know, thank God, like, I would never do this. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, there's, I would be talking to an ethics committee or find another route. This is not the route that I would take or recommend. But the fact that she thinks this is the ethical thing that to do and she does it, you know, kudos, I guess. And I love how she's like, oh, somebody who wants to talk to me. Mm-hmm. Poor baby. Um, then we go from there to uh, Greg and Jeannie going on to tell Mike about his neurosyphilis diagnosis. And, you know, it is a sexually transmitted disease. So he's like, so Mike is like, no, we've only been with each other. We've been together since high school. And uh, Cindy, uh, just right next to him, is just like retreating further and further into herself. The more he says, oh, no, it, it can't be that. It can't be. We've always been faithful. Yeah. And then, you know, he looks over at he looks over at Cindy and sees her, you know, sort of cr- internally cringing and like, uh, and then, yeah, it all, it all goes downhill from there. And she runs out, and he goes after her. And that's pretty much where we leave them, right? Like we don't. Yeah, we, we hear don't we hear them. later on that he's left. Oh, that's right. That he's yeah. left the building, but yeah. All right. So uh, next up, we have a trauma coming in, and what we thought would be a fun thing to do, having Nurse Jen join us, only took sixty episodes to get her on mic. Uh, it's fine. We thought it would. We thought it would be cool to have her just kind of take a trauma and pick it to absolute, pick it apart to absolute death. Um, so that's what we did. We watched, I think, at least what four times. We we watched this trauma a good three or four times. And one of the times we paused it, I think, every two seconds uh, to point out something else in the room. So the next bit is going to be a very technical, very in-depth, hopefully a very enlightening look from a perspective that none of the three of us are able to provide usually. Um, and it's also something that might be a little bit of a like backdoor pilot for some things we may do on the Patreon side of things down the road. So uh, if you like this type of content and uh, want to hear, hear or see more of it, uh, let us know. Give us some feedback on this. So with that, I will turn it over to my lovely wife and let her walk you through it. Hello, hello. Uh, so a little bit of background about myself. I've been a nurse for a little over 10 years. I have a bachelor's degree in nursing. Um, I have, of course, taken the uh, basic like emergency medication, uh, emergency medicine qualifier. I have, like all of the certificates you need. So you know you got to take ACLS and PALS and all of those. I have those. Um, in addition to that, I am a certified emergency nurse. Um, so that's kind of an extra uh, qualification. Um, I have done about eight years of my nursing career in emergency medicine and the other two um, in other departments. Um, But so emergency medicine is my background. I love it. I've worked at different hospitals, different settings, small hospitals, big hospitals. Um, And so I I recognize a lot of what's going on in these uh, scenes. So I'll, I'll just jump into this. There's an EMS arrival. He, the background is that this is a quote 35 year old male how um, how they know that I don't know because he doesn't have an ID but we so if you come in and we don't know who you are you're listed as a John Doe or a Jane Doe or you know we give you a, 
a name and we don't assign a, an estimated age um, necessarily because it's not always accurate. So we have this person, EMS is pushing him through the doors, everybody like crowds in, which drives me crazy because I'm like, it doesn't take that many people to drive the stretcher down the hallway, y'all. Like somebody go get in the room, get your PPE on, start like, you know this person is sick, so like get your pressure bags ready, like get stuff set up and ready to go or get out of the way. Like that's such my pet peeve. So this kind of chaotic at the beginning. Um, the There's only one EMT. I don't see, ever see the second one, but the one EMT gives the background. So um, the car, it was a single car accident. Um, and I think it was versus a light pole. Uh, single car versus light pole. It was not a witnessed event. They used the jaws of life to get this person out. It took 20 minutes to extricate him. Um, the EMS report is that there's lacerations. There's a GCS of eight, um, which is, uh, I can't explain it. Remind me to touch on what a GCS is, but that's gonna talk about going into neuro status and uh, brain injuries and stuff like that. Um, was it witnessed? There's no ID. He's on 15 liters of oxygen. He is intubated, so he has the breathing tube. They have um, one liter of normal saline is in, and then you can see that there's two more bags laying on the patient's chest. His vital signs are heart rate 110, and it's irregular, and his blood pressure is 90 over 60. Um, so, like I said, everybody's rushing in the room. It's really crowded. There's a bunch of people pushing the, the gurney. I'm like, it doesn't take time. It's, like, sometimes if I have to take a patient up to the ICU, it's like me. And that's it. Like, you know, like, or I'll have RT come in. It's like me and RT, we're trying to, like, pull stuff behind us. It's, it, this is not, this is, I don't, I don't know what this is. This is crazy. So we'll talk about a little bit of this, like, initial impression that I get the, you don't get a straight on view of like the patient's injuries right away. Um, he's covered up, he's got blankets on top. There looks to be either snow, ice, um, or maybe glass on like the surface of his clothes, but it's hard to tell exactly what that is, or it could be a combination. Um, they move him over to the bed. He's on a backboard, he's immobilized. He's got the neck brace and the head, um, like the blocks that go on the side of the, each side of the head, they move him over um, and they count down, they move him fairly smoothly. The person who's supposed to be holding C-spine does kind of this like shrug thing. Like it almost looks like they're trying to help pick up his head as opposed to stabilizing the neck which kind of got on my nerves there a little bit. I was like, oh, hold on, hold on. You gotta make sure that, that the stuff's not moving. Um, so that was a little nerve wracking to me, how the person at the head of the bed should be calling when to move the bed, like when to move, make sure your tube is um, secure and safe and that the C-spine stays in line as you're going through so like c-spine obviously like that's the cervical spine yeah. that, that so there's a 
not everybody who is quote unquote helping lift a patient is necessarily doing any actual lifting. There's several people who are there just to maintain, like you said, tube alignment and spinal alignment, stability. Like there's, there's just because there's five, six people that are moving somebody from one side to the other doesn't necessarily mean that all five or six people should be lifting, which is something that like in our case, we probably wouldn't even think of like you would just assume that, Oh, well they're, they're helping lift this person over to the other side. So, right. Uh, the biggest thing is the head of the bed. Like you have to make sure that the head stays in alignment and it's quite hard. Um, I mean, heads are heavy and thankfully in this situation, this person has blocks and lots of securing devices around him. So like he's pretty much not going to move, but the person who's holding his head does, like I said, this kind of shrug thing. So it almost looks like they moved his head and neck, uh, which is no good. Don't do that. When um, when I was in my car accident and the ambulance came to check us out, I was so mad they wouldn't let me get out of the car myself. I was like, yeah. like I was fine aside from my hand being shattered, but like, and I I knew why I'd watched enough medical shows to so like, oh, I have to keep my <laughs> neck stable. But I was just like, I'm fine. <laughs> Right. I also got my Jane Doe name was Periwinkle, and I was a sixty-four-year-old woman. <laughs> so you know, it's fortuitous. Oh. Yes, it's yeah. who I am now. So yeah, yeah it yeah. was. It was just like, uh. maybe the guy could say like he doesn't have an ID, uh, and they did say is that he had a GCS of eight on a scene. So maybe one of the things that he could say was how old he is. Mm-hmm. But um, so yeah, I, that brings up a good point. Like. Can you, it con- as concisely as possible, give us an idea of, I mean, I, I think we've talked about GCS before, once, a long once time or ago. Once or twice, yeah. Yeah, like r- way back at the beginning. Um, but like overall, just kind of like what is GCS testing for? How is it calculated? And what does that number mean to you as the receiving, the, the, the person on the receiving end of a trauma? Like what do those numbers mean to you? There are three aspects to the GCS. There's what they do with their eyes. There's what they're doing verbally and what they're doing physically. So um, are they awake and looking around and alert? They're blinking everything on their own, like looking around intentionally. um, Then you get a better score. The more points you get, the, um, the better your brain function is in theory. The eyes, it goes from one to four. So a lot of times you'll lose a GCS scoring right there because most people you've been um, given pain medicine or you're just trying to like deal with pain or you might be sleepy because I mean, I work night shifts. So sometimes you just get people who are exhausted. Um, And so sometimes they open their eyes to voice. You have to like tell, you know, Mr. John Doe, please open your eyes. And that's when they'll open their eyes. So you lose a point there. So a lot of times people get rated as a GCS 14. And that's really doesn't tell me a whole lot. Um, But if someone's unconscious and you've asked them like, hey, open your eyes, open your eyes, open your eyes, nothing. And then you do something that's uncomfortable. We do painful stimulus. So we'll rub on your sternum. We will... There's several other little things that we can do that's really uncomfortable. And that's, you know, if the patient's eyes pop open then, then you get uh, two points. If you don't respond to that, eyes don't open up, you get one point. So there is no zero. 
So there are people who can have a GCS of three and they are still very, you could be a dead body and have a three. Like oh. there's, yeah. Um, verbal, so are you alert, oriented? Do you have some disorientation, like disoriented? Are you confused? Are you like not even making words, just like babbling? Or do you have something like moaning, sounds that aren't really related to speech? Uh, and then there's just, they don't make a sound at all. Uh, and then there's motor, so, you know, hey, can you pick up your arm and hold it this way? And if they move their arm the way it's supposed to versus like, can you feel this painful thing? And they'll kind of pull their arm away or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and so they, they can either localize it, withdraw. Um, then there's some very, very like basic neural function where you can trigger reflexes but that doesn't necessarily mean that the person has pain sensation or other things uh, or can com comprehend what's going on. So you'll have um, different types of flexions happen. And so your eyes, you get a scale of one to four, verbal is one to five, motor is one to six. Um, so this person is in an eight. So eight, anything below eight is really, really, poor outcome related to really poor outcome so it doesn't necessarily mean that like okay this person had a gcs of seven or eight um but the fact that he has a, his baseline his starting out point is eight so like ems shows up they start doing their assessment and the best score that they got from him was eight does not bode well for this patient. Mm. He probably has some significant brain injury. So GCS is important because it tells us, it gives us a, a baseline to start comparing to. We can see how well you're progressing or decompensating. Um, it gets hard though, once you've intubated a person because you've given them medications, they're not gonna open their eyes. You give them a paralysis medication to put this tube in and so they can't move their muscles. So these other factors play into it. So once you have an intubated patient, you have to go to other, um, other assessment tools, but a, a baseline GCS of eight is not looking good for this poor, poor guy. So, yeah, so going back to the, the trauma itself, this I think is the point, now that you've got through all the like initial assessment stuff, this is the point where I think you started to note like some legit like not necessarily errors, but just sort of like you had questions about certain mm -hmm. things, like as they, as they finish moving him over to the gurney. Yeah. Um, so kind of like what, what happens from there that made you as a professional kind of go like, huh? <laughs> um, so the, first of all, like Green invites the students in, bravo. Like if you have the space to have people in and observe, like I think that like, Good. I think students should always be in seeing stuff. Keyword observe. Yes. Observe. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get, we'll go back to that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but I think that like getting exposure to stuff is fantastic. Getting exposed to bodily fluids is not the good part. <laughs> so don't at the last second say, oh, come on in and then hand them like, start passing out gowns and stuff like that should already be like thought of ahead of time and 
if for whatever reason they come in last second, like they don't need to be in the way putting on this gown that's like touching stuff and all that, like put them, like they need to be off to the side, out of the way, in put a corner. normal gowns on. Let them stand in the corner and try to figure out how to put a gown on before before they go fucking shit up. Sorry. Uh, I hope this is... Oh, we are we are definitely an explicit show. show. You yeah, are fine. This is not a family show. And if anyone like, listening thinks like, it is, then fuck I like off. How she, I like how she asks that after saying fucking shit up and not after you f- used condom <laughs> on Clooney. At the top. Well, um, so then... Mark is asking one of the students about what do you see on the monitor? And the student is looking at the cardiac monitor on where the hospital's monitor would be. Uh, He does come in with a monitor attached. So on the side of the rail of the stretcher, there um, there is a monitor hanging there. So we know that he has at some point been on a monitor. But they like they move him over and I slow it down so like I really picked it apart. They're like the nurses are putting um, the saline bags up. Mm-hmm. They are not touching his chest at all. And I don't see anyone reaching over to the cardiac monitor. So if they had leads that they could switch out. So usually within a facility, you'll start in the ER, you'll have these EKG leads on. And it's so much easier to just take the patient up to this other department, take their clean stuff and just give them your dirty that's already in use. Um, And that way you don't have to go back and like reprocess things, all that stuff. So it's like, so maybe there is, um, maybe they have some kind of agreement with the EMS that they could just use the leads that are already on the patient. But at no point do I ever see them put him on this cardiac monitor. So I don't know what this guy's actually looking at. Uh, but there's PVCs. So you've got these PVCs. They're premature ventricular contractions. That tells me that the electricity is traveling in the, a different route through the heart tissue than it typically does. So instead of basically starting from the top of the heart and going down to the bottom, for whatever reason, the electricity is backtracking and causing stimulation from the bottom of the heart back up and causing like a big contraction of this heart. So we already know that this patient has a faster heart rate. Uh, The PVCs could be why it's irregular. He might also have some other um, issues going on. So the PVCs, you should have what's called a normal sinus rhythm where your electricity travels from the top of the heart to the bottom of the heart and it causes it to squeeze in a rhythm that's typical. When the electricity chooses different pathways, then you get these weird rhythms. So he's got an irregular rhythm. He notes PVCs. um, And as we see in a few moments, this person's going to decompensate and go into uh, a non-sustainable rhythm that is V-fib, which uh, ventricular fibrillation. So basically the electricity goes off in all sorts of directions and the heart muscle is contracting in a way that it it looks kind of like a bag of worms. It doesn't actually contract like a singular unified muscle. It's like pieces of muscle fiber are all contracting independently and which means there's no blood being 
pushed from the heart out to the rest of the circulation. It, you look so grossed no, out. No, it's because I, I have a special place in my heart for hating irregular electrical activity in the human body. So hearing that, I'm like, oh, it's like your heart's having a little seizure. Yeah. Just, yeah. It's very much like that. Just, it's just localized. Um, like. It's, yeah. Um, that's more what it is, is I'm just over here like, Ugh. like Yeah. So Dr. Green, before he goes into V-fib, Dr. Green calls for lidocaine, which uh, I'll talk, I'll touch on lidocaine. Um, he orders a CBC, a Chem 20, enzymes, which usually means cardiac enzymes, because if there's damage to the heart tissue, you get an elevated troponin. So that's most likely what he's looking for. Um, and then he asks to type and cross four units. Asking for four units, he's on the right track because EMS reports that he had some lacerations, so he's probably got some blood loss, and you're also, you don't know what's going on internally with this person yet, so at least you're getting the blood bank in the process of getting him cross-matched blood in case he needs it. Um, but in addition to uh, blood products, if you think you're going to need a higher volume of blood products, you really need to also be giving plasma and platelets because what comes in your blood, the whole blood and or packed red blood cells, sometimes we give that, that you don't always have adequate amount of clotting factors. So you get a whole bunch of like red blood cells and you get normal saline, but if you don't have what causes clots to form, you're filling the tank, but you never get to seal off or scab over basically any of these areas that you're losing blood from. Neat. So that goes into the units. Uh, Halle yells out that the pulse ox is 95. So that's really concerning. He is intubated. So the uh, tube is going directly to his lungs and he's on 15 liters of oxygen per the EMS report. And so that tells me he, if he is a, he looks ish like he's 35. So if he's 35 and the best oxygen saturation you can get is 95% with that much oxygen getting blasted into his lungs, there's a problem. So what's a typical um, pulse ox for somebody his age if he was healthy? If he was healthy and he was on what we call room air. So room air consists of about 21% oxygen. So he's breathing 21%. I would expect to see 94 or above, Okay. basically. Um, 90 or above, and it depends. Like, is this person a smoker? Does he have, is he, you know, exposed to any other reasons that like his oxygen levels might be a little bit lower? But above 90 is normal. Now, if you take that person, a healthy person or relatively healthy, and you take them from a 21% concentration of oxygen to 100%, and it's getting directly blasted into your lungs, I am expecting it to see a 98, 99, 100%. He's got all of this, and he's still at 95. My nurse brain goes to... um, why has he got cardiac, like, is there some kind of chest trauma? Um, and that, so, like, is there edema or swelling or contusion somewhere in the lung tissue? So why can't he get better perfusion than this? Or 
is he cold and the pulse ox is on a finger that's not reading very well mm. is um what you know why is this not picking up and i'm pretty sure that Hale is a solid nurse and she's noticing whether the like it makes a little bump on the monitor so are is there correlation between that and the heartbeats and stuff like that but Hale is noticing and and doing a good job great nursing at when she sees something concerning she calls it out she doesn't have a big discussion she doesn't have a big like here's what it is she just says hey like pulse ox of 95 to call everybody in the room is alerted to this change uh right after that ross says he has a gusher mm. um and he asks for a pressure dressing which is i don't know uh, it doesn't immediately tell you where this this hemorrhage is coming from it a few moments down the road you'll you'll find out it's the popliteal artery um and so a lot of times he we start with a pressure dressing if that can't control it very very quickly then we usually go to a tourniquet mm. um because that is a one of the fastest ways people die from trauma is from the blood loss uh just like i don't know if everybody's done CPR training, they used to do ABCs, like airway, breathing, circulation. And now we flipped it to CAB, like circulation. If you see a huge amount of blood gushing out, stop that and then help this person. Because if you're trying to blow oxygen into some hemoglobin that's been bled out everywhere, it's not going to do them any good. So keep the blood inside. Just Let's just quality see. advice there. Just keep the blood inside. Just put it, yeah, stop that. Um, he orders ANSEF, kudos. That's a good, you know, getting antibiotics on board early, especially somebody who's going to need to go into the OR, helps them. Um, he asks for it piggyback. Mm-hmm. If you hear the term piggyback, it usually, there's, we have these smaller bags. You put it, you set it up in a way that the, larger bag is um, below the little bag and so gravity causes the drip to come out of the little bag instead of your big bag Mm. um so that's why it's called piggyback is because it's literally like piggybacking off of your larger fluid um but thankfully right now like most antibiotics that we're giving in these like really bad traumas and stuff like that if there's not an allergy or something that we know of, we can do IV push um, of some of these medicines. So we don't have to necessarily like start a drip that's gonna take an hour to get in. Like we can get get this in for a person pretty quickly. So patient goes into the the ventricular fibrillation like we talked about. Um, They shock him really quickly, which after you've been in healthcare for any amount of time, they change ACLS and BLS and shocking protocols every few years, it changes again. So um, I don't know what standard they're holding this to for this show. Like, um, but currently, if you see VFib, that is a shockable rhythm, shock it immediately. However, they are missing doing CPR. So if this person's heart is not functionally moving blood through this person's body, somebody needs to manually be doing that the it takes time to go and like drag the cart across the room get your paddles do all the stuff so until the person says clear 
someone needs to be doing compressions. I, and they don't do that. I just learned something. So I always think of CPR as just to, like, regulate breathing. I had mm-hmm. no idea that it was also for um, heart rhythm. Yep. Yep. Today I so, learned. So cardiopulmonary resuscitation. Yep. <laughs> Got it. And, yeah, so, like, there's – when the heart rhythm can cause a heart to be ineffective because either, A, the heart is – beating so incredibly slowly that you can't sustain, like you're not perfusing, you're not getting oxygen to the tissues, your brain, your organs, like you need to. Um, And so those people need compressions. People who have V-fib, so the heart is just doing the wiggles, it's not actually contracting, then, um, then you'll need to do CPR because you need to make that pump pump. You can also have other rhythms so the electrical uh asystole means like there's nothing happening or um another thing called pea pulseless electrical activity so the electricity is doing something but the muscle isn't those need compressions however you can't you're not supposed to shock it doesn't do anything for asystole or pea so he has a shockable rhythm now, is there any problem with the fact that he lets an unregistered student to the hospital shock this patient? No. Okay. Um, most of the time, if you're coming in... I, now, however, this is kind of an interview phase. That is probably an issue. Uh, <laughs> like, they're not here... They're not full-blown full students. Right. Like, yeah. they're not in the student capacity. So even though they are medical students at a, at who knows what school. Right. Um, now, I don't know what they had to do to onboard to get, like, this thing. If I have, a, if I have somebody who has signed all of the proper confidentiality waivers and all of that, which I am sure Weaver has made happen, um, then bring them in, like, let them see this process being that they have green right there right and it's such a quick there's a lot of ways to mess that up i was about to say like there's well it's hard to mess that up but uh i've seen people mess up a lot of dumb stuff if you don't wait for them to clear if you don't like right but he gives an example how to do it the first time and then the second one she gets to do it like that's awesome like people need to get that hands-on um, experience to even know if that's what you want to do. Like if you're coming out, you want to intern or be a resident and like, this is what you're about to spend the rest of your life and invest a lot of money. Like this is a big deal. And if you find out that you are going to vomit because this grosses you out, then maybe do research. Yeah, like this is good for people. Like it's good to know what how uncomfortable that feels when somebody gets shocked and you see the muscle contraction in their body. Like, does that freak you out? Does this freak like they need real exposure? Um as opposed to the Carrie Weaver, let's follow the pee cup through the hospital. But would that hands on experience extend to doing a foley? No. <laughs> no. Cause, no. Because I seem to recall from season one that they wouldn't even let Carter do that when he first started. So definitely not when you're a prospective student. Right. I would think that seems a bit beyond the pale. Yeah. No. Uh, Foley's 
Foley catheters are falling way out of fashion. Um, beginning of my career, like if you just did want to get up to pee, we put a Foley catheter in. Um, but over time we find like there's trauma that happens to the local tissues. If you don't insert it correctly, um, especially if you don't use proper sterile technique, you can cause infections. And so lots of people die because they of a UTI because of a catheter. Really? Um, and yeah, it has, it's, it's a, become a really big national push to avoid them as much as possible, take them out as soon as possible. And you have to be very, very careful and maintain your sterile field. You cannot introduce any contaminant into that. Um, and this guy, he gets handed the kit and the um, his sterile gloves, which are already opened. So how do I know that that the, like the gloves have already been like passed around? Like that's like heck no! I would immediately be like, oh excuse me, can I get a fresh packet? Not to mention, they don't have, um, they're setting up for a peritoneal lavage with another student. We don't do those anymore um, in very rare instances. So most, uh, most traumas, we do what's called a fast exam. We take an ultrasound. We look inside. We're looking for pockets of blood. Right. They don't do that for this person. So there's a couple of things that need to happen in order in a specific order. Uh, they need to make the stomach as small as possible because when you're bagging a person, a lot of times air gets forced down into the stomach and it gets big, like a big balloon in there. And if you go to poke a hole into the abdominal wall, you've got this big inflated stomach up against it, you're more likely to, to nick that. So somebody needs to do put a tube into their stomach and decompress it, let all the air or fluids or whatever is in that stomach, it needs to come out. This person has a head injury, so you can't go through the nose because if they've got a skull fracture, you can put it into their brain, not good. Um, and so there's oral pharyngeal access. So where the ET tube is, you'll, you'd slide it in, it'd go down their esophagus um, and into the stomach so that you can decompress that. So that needs to happen. Then they need to figure out if, uh, do their lavage possibly, because if there's a bladder trauma, then it's not always advised to put a Foley into a, an injured bladder. Um, and then one of the things that we say, it, or we, we look for is blood at the meatus. So the pee hole, you look at that. If there's blood there, don't put something in it. So overall with this trauma, like, what would you say, like, Back on track. how does this, how does this, uh, rate in your professional opinion? <sighs> they stop the bleeding. They get a heart rate back and a pulse back after shocking him. And I assume he makes it on to the OR or wherever else. So this is an adequate trauma because they have um kept this person alive so he is alive he is getting treatment for the things that he needs to be treated for um but that's there there are critiques that i would use um pushing lidocaine we don't use that for antiarrhythmia that that was more popular uh in years past 
They would give lidocaine for all kinds of heart stuff. However, you can give lidocaine um, in some instances for people who are being intubated, uh, if they have head injury, if they have like an increased basal tone or something like that, mm -hmm. that might increase the pressure in their brain. So, but that's still iffy. Not all providers are doing that. Uh, and there's a lot of research and science kind of going into that. Um, kudos again for getting antibiotics started. And they did definitely forget the life-saving tetanus shot that when we're in the middle of a trauma, there's always a tetanus shot ordered, which does make a difference, but it it's not the most exciting part of a trauma is to go to med room and get a tetanus booster. So uh, kind of to sum up in one sentence or less adequate, but not the best, like not perfect, but they, they got the job done He's in alive. spite of everything. He is alive and on to definitive care, which is really what you want for trauma patients. For emergent cases. Mm-hmm. Now, Jen, I have to say, that was amazing, and I would love to have you on for one of the episodes where they have a seizure being the main part of the trauma, because I've talked about it from my perspective, but I yeah. would love to hear from your perspective one day if we if we have any good, good grand malls that come out, and you can go, nope. <laughs> right? Because my sister and I do it, but I would be curious to get your input on that. Yeah, we, we could have so much fun. Um, right. <laughs> Patreon.com slash saying the tone podcast. Right. <laughs> rope, rope Jen into this more often, gang. Um, but to bring us back to the reality of the episode, after that lovely, lovely um, thing, Benny is in the trauma room for this whole thing. In the corner, watching a gentleman who has been injured from a car accident. Talk about triggering. Um, Doug yells, Hale, get him out of here. So Hale, very sweetly, Mama Hale. Scoops him up. Come here, baby. Carries him out of the room. And I want to note, whose films are those? They would not have right? taken films. Jen, whose films are those? Right. That goes back to patient safety and, and turning, turning over room. your room. Yep. So Jen gets it. <laughs> I'm not crazy. Um, and then we have Benton is in the elevator and Carter runs in and stops him. And Carter digs into Benton for bailing on him for that conference in front of the entire surgical department. And ben or Carter just lays down, the next time you feel like ruining my career, I would like a warning. Ooh. So proud of Carter for standing up. He gets in Benton's face. He is standing up for himself. This is such a growth from season one, Carter. Like, he is speaking his mind and he doesn't care who hears it. He's not having it. Um... And then we go over to Carol is meeting with a reporter at Doc Magoo's and notes that this is on the record. Uh, and then uh, go going back over to Doug and Benny. Uh, they have we have they have a little Doug does his best to try to try to actually get through to this kid for once. So let's listen to them. Here you go. Is that man going to die? Maybe he was hurt pretty badly. Just like your dad, right? I was thinking about what I said to you earlier, and uh, I was wrong. Okay, sometimes when you try to help somebody and you can't, and it gets inside you and it, and it, and it twists and you wonder why. 
You should do what you think is right. And you don't let me or anybody else stop you. Okay? It's been a long time. I can't remember if uh, Superman had a dad or not. But if he did, I know that he was very, very proud of his son. Okay. Come here. Come here. Hey. First off, go Doug. I love Doug with children. This is what he's why he's good at his job. Second off, ah uh, yes, the is that man going to die child facing mortality question that we seem to always get at least once. <laughs> and third, Shout out to Martin for an exquisite score at the end of that scene. I wonder I if he say. has a Doug with children score. Like, because it always seems to have a very similar, like, theme. Yeah, it had echoes of the uh, Carol and Doug theme yes. uh, mixed in with it. So it, it was definitely a derivative of that for sure. So but, yeah. go Martin, friend of the show. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that's safe to say at this point. Um,. So then we go from there up to Carter and Hicks uh, in their surgery, and uh, we see Hicks picking picking Carter's brain again. She wants to tea about Benton's emotional state, <laughs> and uh, she tells Carter that if Peter can't use your talents, my team most certainly can. So she's looking to poach Carter off of her off of uh, Benton's surgical team and get him over to hers. So we'll see if that works when she's gone in like four episodes. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't know how many more individual appearances she has. Left, we mentioned yeah, this every goddamn I know, time. I know. I'll tell you. You know who I did note that we are rapidly circling the drain on in this episode. E Ray. E Ray. E Ray has two appearances left. No. We got two E Rays uh, left in us. I think Sweet he's baby in. E Ray. I think he and and it's like this is his last one for a little while too. Like he's this is thirteen. I think his last two are nineteen and twenty two. He's so. got to go save the world with those superpowers that Jerry That's improved. Right. Anyway, getting back What's to the episode, uh, Greg and Jeannie are gonna have a chat. So let's listen to that. I need Mr. Patterson's chart. Why's that? I couldn't convince him to stay. Tricky situation. Are you going to notify the Department of Health? It's the law. Well. Why don't you wait a couple of days, let them talk it out. I'll give him a call, and he'll probably come back in. Are you refusing to give me his chart? It's my job to be an advocate for my patients. It's your job to assist me. That's why it's called physician assistant. Are you always this arrogant, or is it just me? It's just you. Look, I owe you an apology for the other night. Greg. You don't want to date a woman who's HIV positive. You don't owe me anything. You were the chosen one. You're Obama. <laughs> Look here, Obama lookalike. In your your bullshit about your physician assistant, you're supposed to assist me. Well, currently her license is under the ER attending, not yours. You are the consultant. You can fuck off. Clearly we've struck a nerve. <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't. This guy did. Obama did, yeah. <laughs> Show me on Obama where he hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
I'm glad that was a short enough clip that I didn't make the it's Obama connection in the middle of it, or I would have just <laughs> lost my shit. Oh. But yeah, so Greg's Greg's a piece of shit right here. Come on, my dude, you can do better. And then we go on to Anspa is thanking Carrie and Mark for running the prospective interns around. And we find out none of Carrie's students applied and all of Mark's did. Anspa makes it clear that Mark is a future position on faculty and that, like that's what he's meant to be doing he's a great teacher and just you know have you thought about the tenure position like really really digging it in and carrie just looks heartbroken when anspa walks away like she looks like he has peed all over her dreams just mm. yeah and i would like to for extra emphasis i would like to point out that anspa said that all of mark's uh prospective interns ranked county as their first choice ah uh, yes so not only. <laughs> <sighs> and then we have Mary comes down to yell at Carol for going to the reporter, says it was a really shitty thing to do, and that I believe it's, um, oh my gosh, legal? Not legal. It's one of the other admin teams wants to talk to Carol right away. Yeah. Uh, and then we will round out our Carter and Benton's goodness for this episode uh, with uh, this audio clip. Hicks offered me a position on her team. taking it. Effective Monday. Okay. You know, a month ago you would have ripped my lungs out for going behind your back to another surgeon. Now you just stand there? Since when did I start caring about what you do, Carter? Never. But now you don't care about yourself, you don't care about your reputation. I need an evaluation before I can transfer to Hicks's team. You'll get it. You know, in that surgery today, everything I did, you taught me. Carter, baby. I'm sorry, but like, I know that's supposed to be a poignant moment, but like, no shit. <laughs> he's a teacher. But of still, he's saying like. I know. You know, you know what I he know. Means. I have to pee on everything that's good and pure about this show and just make it awful. Good on good on Carter for standing up for that and being like, dude, you're you're losing it. Come on, man. Like, get it together. So as we start to wind down the episode here, we go to the bar where Mark shows up in his uh, aforementioned turtleneck blazer combo that Jen and Lauren are also fond of. And uh, <laughs> he meets her for drinks at the bar and uh, gets beers sent to him by his students that are camped out over in the corner and bought them the drink bought him uh drinks which is very <laughs> nice and uh we close out the episode with uh back at the er carol giving Hale uh shifts and other instructions for the upcoming week and Hale's like this ain't my job i'm not doing that and she's like well you are now because i've been suspended and that's where we close out that's so, like our not cliffhanger but our like dun dun this week overall is it's I think it's probably the very definition of kind of a filler mid-season episode, yeah. wouldn't you say? Yeah. You could, the only thing of really lasting, well, I mean, well, I guess the only thing that, the only thing that, like, you necessarily, like, well, you don't even need to keep in this episode, but, like, the only thing that, like, major, major happened is that we get 
we get the first inklings of Reese. Uh, of Reese. And Carol's yeah. suspended. Yeah. Yeah. That's Those are really it. the only things that make a, make a lasting impression. Um, Chuni and Mark breaking up. Thank you very much. Yeah, but like I said, we we were all rooting that that went on three episodes too long. So, uh, well, before we before we close out, we would like to th- take the opportunity to thank uh, Nurse Jen for all of her expertise today and all of her. Just thank you for helping out people. And, oh, thanks. Yeah, and for sharing Daniel with us. Yeah. Uh, but that is about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. The show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash Podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. And for only $5 a month, you can get access to the full season recap episodes, a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, and two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews. Also, once our stretch goals are met, you'll get access to a monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where we'll talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and pop culture in that moment, as well as monthly movie commentaries, where we watch and talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. We'd also appreciate it if you'd follow, follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Tone Podcast. And we are at Setting the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Our theme music, as always, is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? I don't have a clever one for this week, but folks can find me on my personal Twitter at Lobob92345. And Jen, do you have a Twitter or social media? F- <laughs> no. No? Okay. I am stuck in the 90s. But that's that's okay. Yeah. Your mental health is probably better for it. Um, yeah. You can also, but you can find me on Twitter. I'm at RandomGamer, that's J-A-M-3-R, as well as on the Popular Quartz YouTube channel, doing a Let's Play of Halo, the Master Chief Collection with Jake Terrell. Uh, new episodes of that, are, of that are out every Wednesday, and you can find those videos and more at youtube.com slash thepopularcourt. Thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time, and have a great week. Bye.